Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast, the third coast of Texas. The darkest truths from the darkest web need to be told. And you must listen to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning into the broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of the most Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all very much for tuning in to another great episode. Everyone out there in dreamland, listeners new and old, thank you for your support. Remember... Supporting can be a choice of either sending a monetary tip or uh, supporting with free efforts such as liking, sharing, subscribing, reviewing. Five stars, always appreciated. Uh, honestly, your opinion matters no matter what it is. So if one star hate mail, go ahead, let it fly. Uh, if you feel like this deserves five stars, of course, you know, that helps out immensely if he deserves this posting, you know, across the web on uh, whatever social media site that you prefer, uh, go ahead, like and follow uh, my social media that currently is active, uh, Twitter being the flagship basically replacing the Instagram account that was taken down a couple of months ago. So Twitter is the place to go for daily updates, multiple updates, up, updates a day. Um, videos, dark web evidence, multimedia efforts, um, you know, photography, posts, political reshares, retweets, definitely a one-stop shop, full spectrum. Everything that is beyond Top Secret Texan dark web experience is on Twitter currently, but definitely also follow through the link tree, all the current and relevant social media sites. I am constantly battling shadow banning and deplatforming. Who knows what may be still up when you hear this, whenever you hear this in the future, uh, listeners out there in Dreamland, whether this be in one day of uploading, one month of uplo- uploading, one year of uploading, or maybe one century, you know, after uploading. So, <clears throat> getting into this day's episode, it's going to be a great one. We're going to be talking about whether or not there's a potential serial killer active in the greater Austin, Texas area? The answer is yes. (laughs) And the only reason I'm talking about this besides the obvious true crime aspect of it is because it fits a very paranormal um, topic called the smiley face killer profile. Now, the smiley... I'm not saying this is directly related to the smiley face killer profile, but it does eerily fit a lot of commonalities, which I don't think I've seen anyone really post within the uh, time frame of me discovering this and uh, creating this episode. So I'll be delivering my opinion about that, the smiley face killer connection, 
and I will be um, just presenting a number of evidence, articles, etc., as to the two main debate points, etc. Um, and by that, I mean there really isn't two debate points. It's it's a clear matter of um, a cover-up or people who are just denialists and skeptic until they are told by authorities that something is definitely occurring. And then the people who think for themselves, critically think for themselves, and can clearly see the evidence, the writing on the wall, that there is an active serial killer in the uh, Austin city limits. Um, but there are active serial killers in Texas in every major city, as well as serial killers active in most major metroplexes. Uh, and it's quite clear that this new decade will be a resurgence of the serial killer true crime culture where, like the 70s and 80s in America, every state produces or has the possibility of producing a terrifying, terrifying serial killer or, um, you know, a historic number of savage and barbaric crimes before the police can stop them. You know, and piece together the uh, the investigation because the nature of it, the nature of this whole thing, is that one, it's really difficult to investigate, but also people don't want to admit the truth to themselves. They don't want to admit the the obvious because it is so um, so much of an indictment to not only the corruption and inept nature of the homicide detectives in any given area, the criminal, you know, investigators in any given area, but it's also um, a huge indictment on the culture and lifestyle of the city itself in question, that being Austin, Texas, uh, because the very nature of the crimes are uh, targeted at the homosexual community. And this is a nature of homosexual uh, serial killings, uh, otherwise known as hookup killings, that are very reminiscent of, um, say, the crimes of Jeffrey Dahmer or of uh, several other, you know, uh, very famous um, serial killers. The uh, Foxglove uh, Manor. Uh, killer comes to mind. I'm kind of spacing on the name right now. Um, but yes, the the quote-unquote hookup culture of gay uh, promiscuity and homosexual sex in communities that are LGBT friendly, such as Austin, Texas, um, by their very nature are the homes of frighteningly consistent serial killers that target these marginalized populations uh, through their rather promiscuous and welcoming uh, lifestyles, uh, night lifestyles. And it is, you know, just a fact. It's a fact of urban living that wherever there are these massive gay populations, there are serial killers in abundance. Okay, so yeah, we'll get into this uh, article by article. And I just want to kind of play the the cover-up point first. And I want to describe what's so interesting about this. 
So bodies keep appearing at a lake in Austin, Texas called Bird Lake. And currently there are five bodies that have been pulled out of this lake within a matter of months. But over time, the true nature the true number of bodies that this you know can be can be specifically like, hey, these are the bodies that um, you know, are related to the case uh, may never be known. And it may never be countable because this is a very big area of water and it covers a very large uh, connection to this uh, border of the city, right? So homeless, uh, you know, people who might not fit fit the M.O. of any, you know, consistent victim. Uh, For example, if you targeted nothing but, say, brunette men... And then you also killed uh, old women and overweight people. And, you know, they might, it might be more easy to focus on the brunette men than the overweight people or the, <laughs> or the elderly because, uh, you know, that's not consistent with an MO or it's not immediately obvious. And that's what serial killers really rely on and how they get away with a lot of their crimes is they do not keep a consistent MO. If they are thrill killers or professional serial killers, like I mean professional in the way that they 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 wish to get away with it forever, like that's their lifelong possession, profession, like not profession, but basically passion, is serial killing, murder, and getting away with it, and and continually preying on uh, people, vulnerable people, to get a quote unquote high score, as it were. Uh, and not trying to fulfill any specific, you know, objective, say, kill one specific person, uh, or, like, one specific group of people, um, you know, like, like, say, these things are kind of common, and, you know, and then the way that terribly we have enough data to show that this is kind of how it goes, so, um, thinking outside the box, because most homicide detectives don't, they just wish, because they cannot prove that in court, you can't be like, this man or woman uh, kills typically brunette homosexual men uh, as all these victims fit the pattern, right? Um, but he also kills randomly, like, old women and overweight, you know, anybody of any gender. Uh, because in reality, he's killing people that rep- represent his family to him. And he was raised, say, by a homosexual uh, uncle who abused him. Uh, overweight, you know, uh, you know, whatever, you know, aunt and, um, you know, an elderly grandmother or something. And so he's trying to kill this, this representation of his abuse. They can't really say, they can't really prove that in court. That's impossible to prove without a shadow of a doubt in court. And unless the person confesses to it, that's why serial killer uh, investigations and documentaries and whenever say, they say, oh, this is what Jeffrey Dahmer was doing, that's why they're very simplistic. They're very just straightforward and linear. Establish a motive. Establish the, um, the, co- the, the, the consistencies amongst the victims and the evidence available. And then try to extract a confession to try to flesh out the motivations further and try to, um, you know, so that... Because without a confession, they really cannot prove beyond a shadow of a doubt legally 
of course the public is allowed to make up their own opinion and this information always should be made available to the public in full detail so that citizen investigators such as myself and others such as private investigators who have previous law enforcement experience like we're going to read about in just a few articles uh, can actually come to accurate conclusions and there should be ways to petition law enforcement agencies such as the Austin Police Department with coherent, you know, like realistic format, like forms that you can fill in and submit, uh, and go through the process where that is reviewed, like in earnest, reviewed with respect and dignity by investigators, because a lot of the stuff has been and is solvable by outside eyes, as it were, or, or like you know, private investigators, citizen journalists, such as myself, citizen investigators across the world, if they were just allowed to have this information. And I am a firm believer in that moving forward. But this is the kind of bullshit, first of all, that allows serial killers to continue to grow, to actually blossom. Uh, And that is this fucking crazy denialism of the last 20 years. And that I'd say everything after the year 2000, there was absolutely no excuse not to fully recognize that serial killers are a reality in American life, right? And now we are, 2023, May 1st, 2023 to be exactly, we have an, a journalist, quote-unquote, and I use that term very loosely, named Peter Hawley. This is probably an AI-generated article, by the way. Peter Hawley, writing for Texas Monthly, by the way. Texas Monthly, one word, Texas Monthly, a um, uh, magazine for... Um, I guess monthly events in Texas, right? But it's a big-time magazine, and this is an online article. News and politics. Reality check. There is almost certainly no serial killer in Austin. What began as baseless theory was turned into a social media frenzy, one with the power to frighten the public and hamper police investigations, experts say. Somewhere along a narrow street flanked by skyscrapers on the edge of downtown Austin, hidden among a swirling crowd of tech bros, bachelorettes in pink cowboy hats, and pulsing dance music, a nefarious assassin has allegedly been hard at work in recent months. Some obsessive on message boards believe that this individual is a lone wolf who carefully studies his victims before approaching them at a bar and drugging them at just the right moment. Others are convinced he is actually a she, the seductive point person for a larger team that has for years, perhaps decades, been targeting the kind of healthy, handsome young men in their 20s and 30s that you'd expect to find milling around bustling nightlife areas in cities across America. Whether the killer is a single individual or a part of a team, true believers maintain that somehow in recent years they've successfully managed to lure numerous young men away from the popular nightlife district in Austin known as Rainy Street and into the murky waters of Lady Bird Lake, where their bodies are later recovered by police and mistaken for accidental drownings or intentional suicides. This much is true. Since last summer, nine bodies have been pulled from the 416-acre lake, which runs for miles through downtown Austin. But amateur investigators who have begun circulating spreadsheets with links to online news stories going back to 2008 argue that true numbers of suspicious deaths over the last 15 years or so is actually closer to 20. 
The serial killer theory offers a convenient narrative with the kind of dramatic details you'd expect to find in a Hollywood horror flick or a schlocky true crime horror to, uh, a true TV show. Sorry, There's only one problem. Despite a growing number of fervent believers, this narrative and a bunch of speculation it's predicted upon is utterly baseless. Austinites face plenty of threats at the moment, from a spike in traffic fatalities to a severe housing crisis that rivals any in the nation. A serial killer or killers slaying young men on Rainy Street, as tragic as those deaths certainly are, isn't one of them. Experts are certain. The rampant speculation has ignored that many of the bodies haven't been found near Rainy Street at all. And for those that have, there's more likely explanations. The strip of popular bars, which are home to a heavy drinking much of the week, lies a few hundred feet, or about a minute's walk maybe, from a series of darkened paths and steep inclines that overlook Lady Bird Lake. Drunken missteps don't make for as exciting a social media frenzy, however. Though less uh, far less enthralling, the likely truth is still plenty demoralizing. The only individuals actually preying upon the public are the trend-conscious content creators who seem happy to capitalize on the fears and frustrations that inevitably accompany deaths of relatively young, healthy individuals, especially when those deaths appear preventable. Earlier this month, Cron.com definitely hooked readers by pretending to pose an innocent question. Is a serial killer stalking men in Austin, Texas? Without highlighting a shred of original evidence or credible speculations explaining why the victims' deaths might be considered suspicious, the article cited only the large numbers of people discussing the alleged killer on, you guessed it, Facebook. Last week, Fox News followed with a misleading headline that appeared as if it were lifted from a poster advertising the latest edition of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Bodies stack up in Texas. On Saturday, the Daily Mail followed suit with a provocative headline and story that repeatedly misidentified locations, including on a map, where several bodies were found. On social media, the discussion has devolved further. On YouTube, online investigators with links to Cash App in their profiles have been keen to post videos of themselves wandering downtown Austin and brainstorming about the killer's motives out loud. On a channel dedicated to a true crime terror card readings, one YouTuber concluded that the men were targeted by a small, older, possibly gay male killer. Others have speculated that the deaths of the work of La Llorona, the weeping woman, a vengeful Mexican spirit who is said to drag unsuspecting people, usually children, into bodies of water. On TikTok, influencers presenting themselves as crime experts have generated engagements by posturing as advocates for victims' families. There's so much going on here, and the worst part is it's accelerating. Ken Walks, who has more than a million followers on the platform, explained in a recent viral video. Walks said he has turned down offers to work for the FBI because his impact on ongoing murder investigations around the country is too great to abandon. He also claims that the deaths in Austin are the work of a group with a ringleader whom he has already identified. I can tell you everything that I know. He conveniently added the post which has received nearly 200,000 likes has been picked up and recirculated by other news outlets. Many of the claims spreading online supporting the serial killer theory simply aren't true. 
One of the main arguments for the theory centers on the assertion that there are clear parallels among the alleged victims. Amateur investigators frequently claim that deceased men were similar looking, around the same age and build, and all had brown hair. And none of these vic- uh, claims have any basis. The alleged victims were not all t- white men, nor did they look particularly similar despite having various shades of brown and black hair. They're around the same age, but also directly representative of the larger cohort that ends up drinking on Rainy Street each weekend. Despite the theories, there has been no evidence presenting that suggested the men were all gay or lured to Ladybird Lake using a popular singles app like Grinder. Amateur investigators have also noted that the deaths seemed to abate during the pandemic, which they consider possible evidence that the killer was on lockdown. Conveniently, they ignore the fact that bars were also on lockdown during the same period, limiting the number of inebriated young individuals wandering near the water. This year, only two of those found dead, Jason John and Jonathan Honey, were seen in the crowded nightlife district before going missing. Based on his remains, John's family members have said they don't believe he was attacked, whereas Honey's case remains under investigation. A third deceased individual, 25-year-old Martin Guterres, went missing on Rainy Street in 2018, more than four years before the latest incidents. A fourth man recently found dead in the lake, 30-year-old Christopher Hayes Clark, was discovered near Longhorn Dam with no signs of foul play, nearly two miles from Rainy Street, according to police. And another man, 40-year-old Cliff Axtell, was found in early March, was last seen at Stubbs Barbecue in downtown Austin. Other bodies have been pulled from various parts of the 416-acre lake, too, over the years. The most compelling reason to believe there is no serial killer stalking Rainy Street is the police themselves, who have never wavered from their bottom line. The drownings in Ladybird Lake show no signs of foul play, and investigators believe several deaths were accidental and several were suicides. Successfully killing that many people by drowning without signs of physical distress is almost unimaginable. To accept the idea that a serial killer is on the prowl in downtown Austin, you must first accept the notion that local police and the Travis County Medical Examiner are engaged in a massive criminal cover-up. While police do withhold information about serial killers and later get criticized for it, Austin police are fairly reliable about not covering up that kind of information, explained Kate Winkler Dawson, a University of Texas journalism professor. True crime author and host of Buried Bones, a podcast in which Dawson and retired investigator Paul Holes dissect historical murder mysteries for a dedicated community of true crime fans. If APBD did not believe these deaths were connected, investigators would be looking for clues and they would be panicked. If you looked at the Austin bomber case a few years ago, while they did withhold some critical information, they mostly tried to get as much information to the public as soon as possible. And you're not seeing the same posture with these cases. I could be wrong, but I just don't think there's a lot there here, Austin said. Nevertheless, for weeks now, Dawson's listeners have been begging her to investigate the Lady Bird Lake deaths. Even if her investigations weren't anchored in the distant past, Dawson said she'd be too reluctant to feed into a serial killer narrative that has swept across social media. In recent years, the rise of true crime buffs, their appetites whetted by endless feasts of docuseries and podcasts, have hampered police investigations more than they've helped them, she said. For every YouTuber that spots a missing vehicle and then posts their findings online, uh, as happened in the high-profile Gabby Petito case, 
Two days after the Long Island native went missing, there are countless other examples of social media detectives attacking victims with online harassment or falsely labeling someone a murderer. The tips right now have run so rampant that even the admins of the 83,000-person strong Facebook page dedicated to uncovering the so-called Rainy Street Ripper have been reported to police. At least one of them, a stay-at-home mother dedicated to advocating on behalf of the victim's families, doesn't even live in Austin. This is a perfect storm of people wanting to, a mystery and something to dig in at a time when we have certain levels of mistrust with law enforcement and simultaneously post-pandemic desire for connection in communities, Dawson said. When someone on YouTube or Facebook shares your point of view with something as important as victims of crimes, you automatically feel a connection the same way two diehard sport fans rooting for the same team do. Now that is the devil's advocate approach, saying that there is no serial killer. That's the system's point of view. That is on Texas Monthly, of all things. That is literally the elite state propaganda that is from almost the government itself, especially endorsing the status quo as academic elites and the police department have defined it. Now... We will cut into a um, competing opinion that there is a serial killer active in Texas. This is on Mirror from the UK. The Mirror. A retired NYPD detective believes that the Rainy Street killer is real, and he's intent on proving it. Exclusive, ex-detective's five chilling clues that Texas serial killer is active after five bodies found. Former New York police detective Kevin Gannon went through the autopsy reports of the dead men recovered from Lady Bird Lake in Austin, Texas, and he suspects foul play in their deaths. Is the Rainy Street Killer real? A retired New York Police Department detective believes they are, and he thinks that he has evidence to prove it. Kevin Gannon has worked thousands of cases relating to robberies and narcotics. His most recent placement was with the Bronx Homicide Task Force. Over the past 20 years, Gannon has made or been involved with over 2,000 arrests and has worked multiple murder cases in which the notion of homicide was dismissed at first. The fact that five people were found dead and pulled from Ladybird Lake this year alone, that they were all relatively young men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and they all had connections to Rainy Street nightlife, has sparked speculation in the community at large. It's also got Gannon thinking. Earlier this year, we, he and a partner went down to Austin, Texas, where the alleged murders occurred, to conduct their own investigation into the deaths. When he looked into the coroner's reports, anomalies began to stick out to him. Two of the victims had injuries to the backs of their heads. They were inconsistent with a fall into water, he said. They wouldn't have been able to sustain such injuries without being hit by someone with something from behind. The reported level of decomposition on some of the bodies is also suspicious, he believes. 
and some, the level of decay indicated that they'd only been dead for around 24 hours despite having been missing for several days by the time they were found. Water temperatures can affect the rate of bodily breakdown, he said, and if the water is cooler, decomposition can occur more slowly. Despite those facts, however, the medical examiners ultimately deemed the men's death was accidental, and that ultimately meant the cases investigating their disappearances were closed without further investigation. It was like a rush to judgment, he told the mayor. When you look at the autopsy reports, the injuries and the level of decomposition is nothing fitting with the amount of time that they're missing. He was quick to criticize the investigative efforts of the Austin police and other authorities looking into the disappearance and deaths. The problem is that they treat these cases as missing persons cases, and as soon as the person is recovered, he's not missing anymore. He's found. Case closed, Gannon said. They're not handling it as a criminal investigation, he continued, and because of that, I think they've lost an exorbitant amount of evidence. In Texas, a bartender in the area told the U.S. Sun, a publication, in April that police patrols have been seen regularly, suggesting that the police believe there is, in fact, more to the unfortunate cases and even have possible suspect in mind. It's an odd place for people to go to. I find it hard to see how people could leave Rainy and end up at the lake. You have to walk blocks to get there, she explained. Jason John 30 was the first body to be discovered a week after a night out on Rainy Street on February 5th. Despite one former roommate's claim, John might have been drugged. An autopsy report said there were no illicit substances or medications. He went missing on February 5th, and a witness saw him go under the water, according to reports. This was followed by the death of a 40-year-old father of two, Cliff Axtell, found in early March. Jonathan Honey, 33, was found dead on April 1st, followed by John Christopher Hayes Clark, aged 30, found on April 15th. Hayes Clark's childhood sweetheart and former partner Reagan Aparicio, 28, told the Daily Mail his death was totally baffling. She added, they, the police, haven't told me the cause of death. I've asked, but nothing. Everything is still under investigation. I literally have no answers, only questions left. The fact that the drowned persons were all men and that they had all been drinking on the nights of their disappearance might be causing local authorities to view their cases differently, Gannon believes. The idea is it's men. There's alcohol involved. It appears to be alcohol-related, so it's just a tragic accident or a suicide. To official rule out the possibilities of homicide, Gannon believes investigators should have treated the cases like murders in the first place, even if they later determined that the men weren't, in fact, slain. What I was taught at NYPD is that you treat the cases, you treat all cases as homicides first and work backwards until you can prove it's not, he said. If you treat it as an accident, then you've already lost the opportunity to collect a lot of vital pieces of physical or forensic evidence that you can never get back later. Police have ruled out any possibility of a serial killer. The Austin Police Department said there is no evidence in any of these cases of suspected foul play. While each incident has occurred at the lake, the circumstances, exact locations, and demographics surrounding these cases vary. 
but that does little to calm the fears of many residents who worry that there is a roofie killer on the loose, targeting men around the age of 30 using drugs like GHB to spike people's drinks known as roofies before disposing of their bodies in the lake. Where were Jason John, Cliff Axtell, Jonathan Honey, John Christopher Hayes, and Moga Dagal murdered? Gannon certainly thinks so, and he won't rest until he's proven it. And that is the end of the Mirror article. So there we get two very different takes, two completely different takes, to be honest, between the system that is trying to cover it up, the journalistic state propaganda system that is uh, taking the side of the police and is encouraged by the uh, so-called lettered elite uh, you know, in the academic world, especially the UT world, which is a massive thing in Austin in terms of uh, clout and respect and prestige. And then we have foreign intellectuals, specifically foreign specialists and professionals, um, in this case, New York Police Department detectives, describing um, the evidence as clearly that pointing towards a serial killer, an active serial killer in the area, and uh, the Austin Police Department being complicit in a massive criminal cover-up. Now, this might seem like, um, you know, a very, a very clear-cut case of listen to the police. They know what they're doing. And clearly, if there was a serial killer, there would be more grisly and obvious signs of murder and uh, no one in this day and age could get get away with it because of forensic evidence and psychology and profiling. And, you know, the cops really do catch killers, right? The cops really do catch criminals. Well, here's a story from Austin, Texas. That kind of shows that um, maybe the police don't always catch killers unless they confess. And without a confession are being caught red-handed, the police are almost entirely powerless to catch serial killers who are operating discreetly, uh, regardless of their reputations or previous history with law enforcement or punishment, uh, the penal system, uh, previous convictions of violent crimes, etc. And that Austin is a sanctuary city for every fucking weirdo and creep and second chancer and deadbeat, basically vagabond or gypsy style uh, person, a drifter. Everyone drifts to Austin, and because it is so lenient, lax, and liberal, everyone feels welcome no matter how big of a shitbag they truly are. So, that being said, is my two cents. Let's read this article from KXAN Austin. KXAN Austin News. Policeman, or police, policeman, policeman arrests, no, police, uh, colon, man arrested in multiple murders, city official calls him serial killer. This is written by Abigail Jones, Sam Stark, and Nabil Ramana. Austin, KXAN, Raul Meza Jr., age 62, confessed to murdering his roommate, Jesse Fraga, age 80, and implicated himself in the murder of Gloria Lofton, age 66, in 2019, three years after he was released from the Travis County Jail, 
per Austin police. When they told me she got murdered, I was like, what, said Sergio Rodriguez of East Austin, who said he knew Lofton. She knew me since I was a little kid. That's just not right, man. Austin Police Department said they are looking into 8 to 10 more cold cases Meza may be connected with, but said this number could rise higher as it continues its investigation. Mesa is currently detained in Travis County Jail. Mesa told police once he was arrested that he was ready and prepared to kill again, police said. Court documents detail what led to 80-year-old's death. Here is a serial killer that justice was not served. It was a travesty of justice, said Interior Assistant City Manager Bruce Mills, who was also the primary investigator on the 1982 case where Mesa was convicted of murdering an 8-year-old Kendra Page. We don't know how many more people he killed or would have killed, Mills said. Mills recalled Mesa pleading guilty to Page's murder. For reasons he still does not entirely understand, the case did not go to trial, he said at Tuesday press event. We will never really get solid answers on that, Mills said. I think 11 years after going to prison, this guy was released. He said, I talked to media at the time about the travesty of justice even then, when he had only done 11 years from the 30-year sentence he got, which was light, for killing the 8-year-old girl. On May 24th, Meza called the APD 311 line and was transferred to the homicide line, police said. Meza told an officer that he killed his roommate, Fraga, and implicated himself in the murder of Lofton in 2019, said Nathan Sexton, a sergeant with the Austin Police Department Homicide Unit. Police said it was uncommon for a person accused of such crimes to contact the police. The caller stated, My name is Raul Meza and you are looking for me. Detective Patrick Reed said the officer who spoke with Mesa recorded, The Pflugerville Police Department contacted the Lone Star Fugitive Task Force to help them apprehend Mesa, U.S. Marshal's Brandon Fella said. We were able to establish more intelligence that we knew Raul Mesa was considered armed and dangerous. He was suicidal and had violent tendencies, Fella said. The task force was able to apprehend Mesa Monday evening, Fella said. Fella said that when the task force arrested Mesa, he had a bag filled with zip ties, duct tape, a flashlight, rounds of ammunition, and a pistol. U.S. Marshals approached around him and then took them into custody within a blink of an eye, and I think that was a key advantage based on what was in that bag, Fella said. Mesa was identified last week as a person of interest in the death of Fraga after he was found dead in his Pflugerville home. According to court records, Mesa had two first-degree felony charges and one charge of unauthorized use of a vehicle. APD was listed as the arresting agency. Days after Mesa was named as the person of interest in Fraga's death, the Pflugerville Police Department confirmed that Mesa had a prior conviction for a murder in Travis County in 1982. Mesa has gone through multiple cycles of being in prison, then released on parole, then imprisoned again. To continue this kind of heinous offenses, the community has not been safe, said retired Travis County Judge Charlie Bard. That is a heinous offense, the death of a child that also involves sexual assault. It's a heinous offense, and the 30-year sentence to me just seems to be excessively too light. Bard also said a state law no longer in effect piggybacked on what he referred to as a light sentence, further allowing for Mesa's early release. At the time of his sentence in 1982, if he was a model prisoner and received good conduct time, 
He was given credit for that, and that credit was mandatory, and that therefore effectively reduced his sentence to half, he said. So there you go. In that article, that we have a justice system in Texas that is being exploited by older generations of criminals from a very recent past in the 1980s and 1970s, 1990s, to have been released or gained parole after committing violent and heinous offenses due to extraordinarily lax and lenient sentencing for such extraordinarily violent crimes. And that these people, having shown shown no rehabilitation and having been given no psychological supervision or community supervision afterwards, were allowed to prey on uh, victims again. And it wasn't even until this individual called and confessed that they had the... uh, could, the ability to connect where he was and gather location on him, uh, you know, using a wiretap basically or a phone tap basically, uh, caller ID, uh, to go arrest him in Pflugerville while he, before he started a murder rampage or a uh, continued his, you know, basically serious full time commitment to kidnapping, uh, sexually assaulting, and killing women, uh, most likely. Um, I mean, the evidence is clear on the wall that there are serial killers with prior convictions of violent crimes and murders walking the streets currently in Texas while the police force is completely oblivious to that despite there being active and current and retired police force members who know full well these people are existing, who know full well their names and their tendencies, but are powerless due to the state's bureaucracy to do anything about it without themselves being criminals. In a public and a society that is unwilling to believe that because it hurts the tourist image or the public relations image of a peaceful, conservative, law-abiding state of Texas, which is absolutely untrue. It is a land of psychopaths, and uh, murderers, basically. It is, absolutely. This is uh, very reminiscent to um, the smiley face killer, though, the actual uh, killings going on currently in um, Austin. College town, young men, um, possible connections to homosexuality or gay club scenes or experimentation, or at least proximity to such, so that a active gay uh, nightclub life could border on where these people pass or walk through so that they may ambush or prey upon them. Um, I think it's a gay, sadistic, rape-murder, uh, GHB-type system where they're kidnapping these individuals, filming their torture and eventual murder, uh, and then depositing them in these bodies of water after being scrubbed clean. This is an operation that's involved with multiple people, uh, not only for the distribution and in the industry of this material, but the actual, um, you know, transport of the body and the capture of the victim. It's not one person, but it's actually a team of people. That much is accurate and, and obvious for the fact that they are so uh, rarely injured to extremes, but actually seem to be rather... Um, 
you know, reluctantly captured or, or at least just like efficiently captured would have to entail multiple people. Okay, so here's another article about an active serial killer type situation. Uh, this time from Houston, Texas. Houston police warn a possible serial killer after murder spree. Lock your doors. This is from June 17, 2018. Houston residents have been warned about a possible serial killer on the loose after a rash of attacks in the last week. At a Monday night press conference, police identified the suspect as Jose Gilberto Rodriguez, a parolee who cut off his ankle monitor and is believed to have gone on a killing spree. Rodriguez is suspected of killing a 62-year-old homeowner in Harris County before stealing her car. He then allegedly committed a second and third murder at two mattress stores. Two other people were attacked but survived. Police say Rodriguez is armed and dangerous and he may be going from door to door in residential areas pretending to be someone for looking for someone. The sooner we can get him into custody, the sooner we can all breathe better, Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo said Monday. So there, you got that going for it. Texas is home for uh, batshit fucking crazy uh, possible serial killers, uh, spree killers, convicts, outlaws, and uh, homicidal maniacs of all kinds, right? Regardless of the city, the situations are mostly the same. You cannot trust who walks through any set of doors, shop doors, or who you're driving next to in traffic, who you walk up to a street, who you're sitting next to on a bus. That is just the nature of reality. Here are... Ten serial killers from Texas past that will help, uh, you know, cement that issue and reiterate that point, hammer that point home. That Texas has produced serial killers before, is the second most prolific state for serial killers, with the second highest number of serial killer victims in the high 900s, second only to California in terms of numbers of victims and numbers of serial killers generated. So 10 previous serial killers Texas has produced. The list goes as such. 10. William Lewis Reese. Number of victims. 4 confirmed. Years active 1997. In the 1970s and 1980s, the Texas killing fields were a place where people went missing and bodies were found. Many of these murder cases remain unsolved to this day. As the area developed, the deaths diminished. However, in 1997, three more bodies appeared. It was not until 2015 that their killer was found. While serving a kidnapping sentence, Reese's DNA linked him to the cold case murder of an Oklahoma teenager. He later confessed to murdering three more women at the same time in the same summer in Texas. He was sentenced to death in Oklahoma in 2021 and sentenced to life in prison in Texas on 2022. Number nine, the angel of death. Number of victims, three confirmed, 60 suspected. Year is active, 1977 to 1982. A woman, Janine Jones, was a nurse at the pediatrician ICU at the Bixar County Hospital. 
During her tenure, an unprecedented number of children started to die. Instead of investigating, the hospital merely asked its licensed vocational nurses to resign, allowing Jones to move to a different medical facility and continue her killings. It's been speculated that she injected 60 children with digoxin, hyperin, and susconelacolin to create a medical crisis then be seen as the savior for the thrill. She is now serving a life sentence. 8. The Railroad Killer Number of victims, 15 confirmed, 23 suspected. Years active, the 1980s and 1990s. Angel Marturino Resendez, dubbed the Railroad Killer, illegally traveled across the country by rail car. He picked up his victims at random, varying in age and sexual orientation. Right before his capture in 1999, this Mexican-born serial killer landed on the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list after attacking nearby residences. Once captured, he was sentenced to death and died by lethal injection in 2006. Number 7. The Butcher of Elmendorf Number of victims, 2 confirmed, 20 suspected. Years active, the 1930s. Joseph Ball was known as the Alligator Man. As the story goes, the South Texas serial killer was a tavern owner who romanced his partners before killing them and feeding them to his pet alligators, which he kept in the pond between the bar or behind the bar. While law enforcement only recovered two bodies, Texas folklore alludes to many more deaths. Ball died at his own hand, shooting himself to avoid arrest by law enforcement. Number 6. The Sunday Morning Slasher Number of victims, 14 confirmed, 100 suspected. Years active, 1974 to 1982. Carl Eugene Watts eluded law enforcement for 8 years before being caught and convicted for the murders of over a dozen Texas women and two Michigan women by means of stabbing, drowning, strangling, and bludgeoning. This Texan claims to have killed many more. His serial murders have only one thing in common. All of his victims were white women who he believed had evil eyes. He served a life sentence and died of cancer in 2007. 5. The Broomstick Killer Number of victims, 9 confirmed. Years active, 1966 to 1991 to 1992. Kenneth McDuff was sentenced to death row not once, but twice. This Texas serial killer is known for the rape and brutal murder of Edna Sullivan. He broke her neck using a broomstick. He was sentenced to death in 1968. However, the death penalty was overturned in 1972, causing his sentence to be commuted to life. Then overcrowding in the prison allowed for his release. This led to the deaths of at least six more young women and the capital murder conviction that get him, that get him his second death sentence. He died in 1998 by lethal injection. Number four, the Phantom Killer. Number of victims, five conformed. Years active, 1946. As the name implies, the Phantom Killer's identity still remains a mystery. However, this infamous masked man killed at least five and injured three others in 1946. Dubbed the Texicana Moonlight Murders, this killing spree involved shooting attacks on couples late at night in their vehicles. Number three, 
the Candyman. Number of victims, 28 confirmed. Years active, 1970 to 1973. Dean Carl was a sadistic pedophile who abducted, raped, and murdered at least 28 young men in the Houston region. He got away with these crimes with the help of two teenage accomplices, David Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. During his reign of terror, he was responsible for what residents called the Houston Mass Murders. Incidentally, he died at the hands of his own aide. Henley shot and killed him before leading police to the graves of his victims. Coral earned his moniker due to the family business, the Coral Candy Company. Number two, the eyeball killer. Number of victims, three confirmed. Years active, 1990 to 1991. From a young age, Charles Albright showed homicidal tendencies, killing and stuffing small animals for sport. His mother chalked it up to a passion for taxidermy, but this spiraled into a life of petty crime and murder. All three of his victims were sex workers in the Dallas County region. They were found shot with their eyes removed. Albert served life in the prison and died in 2020. Number one, the servant girl annihilator. Number of victims, eight confirmed. Years active, 1884 to 1885. The servant girl annihilator, otherwise known as the Austin Axe murderer, is one of America's first documented serial killers. This individual terrorized the city of Austin in the late 19th century, killing eight, five of which were domestic servants. His victims were brutally slain in their sleep, sexually assaulted, and then posed with sharp objects protruding from their ears. While his identity remains unknown to this day, many true crime enthusiasts theorize that he is actually Jack the Ripper. And now while this list might be sensational and might be uh, top 10, there's no way to actually measure any of these terrible people nor uh, glorify any of their cases. Uh, nor is that an, even a complete list, as there have been many more serial killers to be active in multiple states, including Texas, uh, like uh, Otis Toole, uh, for example, who operated from Florida to Texas across I-70, as well as many other transient and vagabond-type serial killers, foreigners, um, and the people who did not get caught. There's also no way to measure the uh, severe savagery and insanity displayed by even individuals who kill only one person, let alone, um, you know, there is no need for a high score or uh, justification in that terms for, for monstrosities and this behavior. Uh, serial killings continue to, continue to uh, cross Texas this very day. Now, that being said, even with the Austin killer being you know, possibly nine victims at this point, and even potentially many more, um, the trend is skyrocketing. In the next decade, you're going to see the announcement and capture of killers that would put even these monsters to shame. Uh, currently, for example, I mean, recently, for example, they caught uh, Billy Chermurmur, uh, a Kenyan immigrant, who was charged with killing 22 North Texas women. So it won't be your typical suspect. It will be the new, extremely diverse, cosmopolitan nihilism of the 21st century 
coupled with the economic desperation and the influx of so many radically different people into massive urban communities that are already stretched and stressed to the limits, making predators out of men and allowing those predators to thrive, to move, to survive, and to go completely under the radar by law enforcement that will always prioritize keeping the status quo and lying to the public as to not disturb the peace. And yes, every major city is aware of active serial killers currently within their jurisdictions, and the federal government is actively aware of many such serial killers operating with different levels of organization and um, you know cruelties inflicted upon the victims uh, that they will never disclose to the public until they capture them, sterilize them, or maybe that they are even working hand-in-hand with very powerful figures in Texas government, business, etc. Undoubtedly the case. Undoubtedly the case, the same as in Virginia, the same as in Washington, D.C., the same as in uh, California, Uh, you know, as above, so below, same as in everywhere. So yeah, that's my, my take on it, that there is actually a serial killer in Austin. Just read the evidence out for you, both sides of the opinion, the argument, and gave you the precedent, historical context for which this exists. So thank you all very much for tuning in to another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I'm the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I've been broadcasting to you from the third coast to coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all very much for listening. It's been my pride and privilege to be giving you this real uncensored information. Consider supporting through the Cash App link um, at Beyond Top Secret Texan. Um, Cash App is also available on the Twitter page. You can donate through the little tip jar there. Um, Consider liking, subscribing, sharing this information across the web. Free for you means the world to me. Thank you all very much. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. God bless you and your families. Peace out.